Hi, my name is Abby. Hi, I'm Altea. My name is Mason. And today we'll be discussing chapters 5 through 7 of Looking Like the Enemy. So first we'll start off with a historical recap. So uh, the historical recap is following the events after Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, Franklin Roosevelt established Executive Order 9066 um, uh, to to isolate uh, anybody of Japanese descent um, in internment camps from 1942 to 1945. So we'll start with the first question. So. The first chapter we read was chapter five, and this chapter was about how um, after this decree was made, all of the Jap- all the people of Japanese descent had to leave the island. Um, when they reached the, the departure point, um, Mary saw some of her friends, uh, th- and they came to see her off and told her they, that they would miss her and that they would hopefully uh, correspond with them. So one of my questions was, did you guys really think that they would really keep up this correspondence after their family left? Um, I, don't, I don't think they... Um, well, I guess it depends <clears throat> on how, um, how close, um, you know, the two kids were and, um, like, like what, whether or not they were even able to do that. I don't know if they were able to do that in the internment camps. Um, but if they, I'm, I'm, I think that if they didn't have a, uh, strong connection or like a strong friendship, then no, mm-hmm. they were just um, like acquainted. Yeah, I definitely agree. And nobody knew where they were going. So where would they even send any letters to? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, one thing I thought was strange is, um, like some of the, the book said that one of the popular popular girls actually came to see them off, and I don't. I wonder if Liz was actually sincere because okay. I guess they didn't really hang out together before. Mhm. I guess it was nice to know before they left that people cared about them. Yeah, I definitely agree. It like gave them a little bit of hope going into this new place that they were told it was for their own safety but as they later found out it was just to like isolate them yeah. it sort of gave them a bit of hope like oh yeah maybe I will send a letter to um, my friend and like talk to them but of course they she never mentions doing that in the following two chapters yes So the next part I wanted to talk about is um, the sixth chapter when Mary and her family are moved to the first internment camp. Um, What was really strange was that um, the soldiers that were there to uh, like move them to the new camp were very rude and um, were kind of blaming them for everything. And so in this point, so Mary and her family were really scared but when they finally got to the internment camp, they were like, they saw these 
giant barbed wire fences, but the barbs were, like, faced inwards. And the one thing they wondered was that the they thought these camps were for their protection. And what it really felt like was that they were prisoners instead. Mm-hmm. And also when she was trying to go to the bathroom in, like, the middle of the night and the giant spotlight landed on her, she realized, hey, maybe I'm not too safe here and this isn't for our safety. And that's when she realized, oh, we're more like a prisoner of war than this is for our safety. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. The, uh, the, the, the thing with the barbed wires is really, uh, you know, really shows the reader, in this case us, that... You know, when the barbed wires are faced inside, it's supposed to keep something inside. Uh, while the barbed wires facing outside are supposed to keep something out of it. So you can only assume and, and you know, infer that, uh, that, that those barbed wires were to keep them inside and not for, not for their actual protection. One other thing I wanted to discuss yeah. was their um, their really bad living conditions. So in the first camp that they went to, Mary's family actually had to share a room with an older couple, an older couple, mm-hmm. and they often like suffered like because these uh, little rooms were hastily made, and so there's like no insulation. So in the winter. There is no way to keep the sand out or to, like, just stay warm in general. And then also because they're from Hawaii where it's more like a humid place and, like, more not as hot. Now suddenly they're in, they're just outside Fresno and it's, like, the same weather as it is here in Vegas. And they're practically dying of heat stroke and people are passing out every day. Yeah. Then the one other thing. Uh, oh, you can go, Mason. No, you're good, you're good. Okay. I wanted to talk about the bathrooms. The bathrooms were horrible. It was just like, wow. There's no privacy at all. And then the way with the flushing, when they had to flush the toilets, it was also pretty unsanitary, if you think about mm-hmm. it, because it was just like a one, a running stream of water that every so often it flushed. And also how they weren't getting their proper nutrients. Like it mentioned a mother with her baby and she was like, we aren't getting the proper nutrients. So I can't like, my child can't like grow properly. They aren't having the proper nutrients. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the living conditions and like the bathrooms and stuff are like nasty and stuff. And um, they, they would have, and if you think about it, you'd think that people, a lot of people would get sick, you know, and especially, you know, without what Altea said, uh, with not the proper nutrients, um, you know, if you don't have the proper nutrients, you're you're gonna you're gonna get sick, and it's gonna get worse. It's not gonna get better. So they didn't even um, provide them with the proper living conditions needed to, you know, survive and not get sick and stuff. Yeah, and I think this really makes sense because the the mess halls of these camps had to feed so many people at once that they couldn't really afford to have nutritious food and I remember one comment uh I think this one man was like don't they don't they know that Japanese need fresh fruit and vegetables yeah that goes to show like they were like that keeping healthy was part of their daily routine and all of a sudden they just 
didn't have it, and that's why so many people wasted away. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, the uh, the camps, you know, in in a way, you know, the thing with the vegetables there is kind of taking away their their culture. They, they weren't really even able to uh, to practice, you know, their daily things that they do on a normal basis. That was taken away from them as well. Mm-hmm. One other thing I wanted to mention was, I think Mary said that the Issei or like the first generation of um, Japanese in America, they they had a really strong work ethic. And at first, this kind of felt like a vacation, but after a while, they didn't have anything to do, so like everyone was pretty bored. Mm-hmm. And this. I guess it made them feel really helpless because they were all thinking about like their st- their shops, their farms, and all the things they had to leave behind. And they were sitting there doing nothing. And I guess that made them feel really. Yeah, well, you know, think about it. If, if you were to have, you know, hours and hours of a day of time, you know, you're not really doing anything. All you know, the best you could do, all you could do is think. You know, and in this case, their situation is even worse than probably anybody else's where where all they could think of would be, you know, like you said, their businesses, their, their families, their livelihoods, uh, and, and, you know, their futures and how, how this would definitely affect them. Um, if they'd even So survive. all they had time to was think, yeah, even if they survive. this really ties into the next part I wanted to discuss, which is after a while of living in the first internment camp, they were moved to a different one. And this one, it actually seemed more permanent because there were jobs for people to sign up for, where they could get paid, and then there was also like a school. So I think their perception of this was like, maybe we might be here forever or until the war ends, and that might be for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're relocated, think about it. If you're relocated somewhere where, from somewhere where they didn't have schools, they didn't have, you know, jobs that offered there, and they didn't have, like, stores, you know, um, you're going to, um, the best you could think would be, we're going to be here for a while, because why would they have this here, you know? They, you know, so I <laughs> Yeah, I definitely agree, and it also helped with, like, the first generation who had the stronger work ethic they suddenly all had jobs and everybody could like go to work and it was slightly better but at the same time it's also like why do we even need to go here can't we go back home where we have our old jobs and everything waiting for us yeah was um, Mary and her friend were invited to um, partake in this traditional Japanese dance and they were all like dolled up and they had kimonos and they had their traditional makeup and then 
while they were performing, this huge dust storm came and they practically ruined all the clothes and their performance. Mm-hmm. And then Mary says that this is the last time she ever danced. And this is because um, her friend was removed and taken to a different camp. And I really, I think that Mary really felt a sense of sadness because after a few months of correspondence, her friend stopped responding. And it turned out that her friend had died of an unknown disease. And this must have really scared her because they were both living in sort of the same conditions. Yeah, so it's like, oh, will I be next? Exactly. Um, yeah, the, you know, if you think about it, it, they took away kind of, they took away everything, right? So, and, and they even, you know, they took away their homes, their businesses, everything. They took it all away from them. So now they're in this camp and now Mary, she loses, she loses another thing, her friend, right? Um, she leaves and, but, but, you know, you know, what's good is that they, they had connection for a little bit. Um, and then on top of that, she finds out that she died. You know, think about it. If that was you, you know, you're for, you were put in a camp, everything was taken away from you. You don't know where you are. You don't know what's going on. You're living in terrible conditions. And, uh, um, your friend leaves, you know, that's kind of all you had there. You know, that they even took that away. Um, so uh, just something to think about, I guess, how, how much um, turmoil the, uh, the camps probably had on her. And then on top of that, you know, like she said, the living conditions were, you know, were a result of probably the disease that she had and that's what killed her. Yeah. I think the reason <clears throat> she decided to stop dancing was because I think the dancing reminded her of the better times when they were free because she she talked about um, how her teacher and her friend, they practiced together back on Vashon Island, but their last performance didn't have positive connotations, right? Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel right to keep performing when one of the members was gone and that they were in such a, a negative place. Yeah, and she also talks about how dancing would, like, help her feel happier and, like, clear her mind. And eventually she just, like, gave up on that because she was like, I don't even know if I'm going to survive this. My best friend who I've, like, lived with almost my entire life and I've done all of these things with left and now she's um, dead, so. It- um. Yeah, I think that uh, I I think that you know the reason why she stopped was was probably what you guys said, but also the fact that it the dancing probably never brought her joy. You know, it didn't do it anymore. It didn't do that. You know, that that joyous. It didn't have the joyous feeling for her that it did before. Um, you know, because of the the negative place she was in, the negative, you know people she was around right the soldiers mm-hmm. um and just her environment was um was all negative and so when you have a negative environment it's very really hard to to be positive and so when you when you try to be positive with something it sometimes just falls through it doesn't happen you can't it doesn't bring you joy anymore. 
<clears throat> I also think that dancing probably reminds her of her friend and her happy past and her bleak future. And I think that taking dancing away or the choice to dance away from herself also like took away her her one thing that gave her happiness and now she doesn't have anything else to look forward to. So she was really her time in the internment camps was pretty depressing. Especially with um how they were living and the death of her friend. Yeah, and I also um was reading like the beginning of the dance where she's like she like felt peace like for once where she's like I have a Japanese heritage but I'm an American citizen and like she felt peace for the first time in a long time but then like looked around and saw the giant searchlight and was like we're prisoners of war we aren't at peace I'm not at peace and like it sort of I think also like signified a loss of for hope because that's when she like realized once again that she's a prisoner of war and this isn't for her own safety 